Chapter twenty six of Virgin Soil, Volume two by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Carnet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Solomine's refusal greatly offended Sipyagin, so much so that he suddenly arrived at the opinion that this homebred Stevenson was not such a remarkable mechanician after all, and that, though he might very likely not be a complete sham, he certainly gave himself airs like a regular plebeian. All these Russians, when they imagine they know a thing, are beyond everything. Au fond, Kalomietsev is right. Under the influence of such irritated and malignant sensations, the statesman, en herbe, was even more unsympathetic and distant when he looked at Neshtanov. He informed Kolya that he need not work with his tutor today, that he must form a habit of self-reliance. He did not, however, give the tutor himself his dismissal, as the latter had expected, but continued to ignore him. But Valentina Mialovna did not ignore Mariana. A terrible scene took place between them. At about two o'clock they happened somehow to be suddenly left alone together in the drawing-room. Each of them was immediately aware that the moment of the inevitable conflict had come, and so, after a momentary hesitation, they gradually approached each other. Valentina Mialovna was faintly smiling, Mariana's lips were compressed. They were both pale. As she moved across the room, Valentina Mialovna looked to right and to left and picked a leaf of geranium. Mariana's eyes were fixed directly upon the smiling face approaching her. Madame Sipyagin was the first to stop, and drumming with her fingertips on the back of the chair. Mariana Vikentievna, she said in a careless voice, we have, I think, entered upon a correspondence with one another. Living under one roof as we do, that is rather odd, and you are aware that I am not fond of oddities of any sort. It was not I that began that correspondence, Valentina Mialovna. No, you are right. I am to blame for the oddity this time, but I could find no other means to arouse in you a feeling of, how shall I say, a feeling of... Speak out, Valentina Mialovna. Don't mince matters. Don't be afraid of offending me. A feeling of propriety. Valentina Mialovna paused. Nothing but the light tap of her fingers on the chair-back could be heard in the room. "'How do you consider I have been careless of propriety?' asked Mariana. Valentina Mialovna shrugged her shoulders. "'Ma chère, vous n'êtes plus un enfant, and you understand me perfectly. Can you suppose your behaviour could remain a secret to me, to Anna Zararovna, to the whole household, in fact? Besides, you have not taken much pains to keep it a secret. You have simply acted in bravado.' Boris Andreich alone has perhaps not observed it. He is absorbed in other matters of more interest and importance. But except for him, your conduct is known to all. All. Mariana grew steadily paler and paler. I would ask you, Valentina Mialovna, to be more definite in your expressions. With what precisely are you displeased? L'insolente, thought Madame Sipyagin. She still restrained herself, however. You wish to know what I am displeased about, Mariana? Certainly. I am displeased at your prolonged interviews with a young man who by birth, by education and by social position is far beneath you. I am displeased. No, that word is not strong enough. I am revolted by your late, your midnight visits to that young man's room, and that under my roof. Do you suppose that that is quite as it should be, and that I am to be silent? and as it were screen your flightiness as a woman of irreproachable virtue 
Oui, mademoiselle, je l'ai été, je le suis, et le serai toujours. I cannot help feeling indignant. Valentina Mialovna flung herself into an armchair as though crushed by the weight of her indignation. Mariana smiled for the first time. I do not doubt your virtue, past, present, and future, she began, and I say so quite sincerely. But your indignation is needless. I have brought no disgrace on your roof. The young man to whom you allude, yes, I certainly have come to love him. You love Monsieur Nestanov? Yes, I love him. Valentina Mialovna sat up in her chair. Good heavens, Mariana, why, he's a student of no birth, no family. Why, he's younger than you are. There was a certain spiteful pleasure in the utterance of these words. What can come of it? And what can you, with your intellect, find in him? He's simply a shallow boy. That was not always your opinion of him, Valentina Mialovna. Oh, mercy on us, my dear, let me alone. Partant d'esprit que ça, je vous prie. It is you we are discussing, you and your future. Fancy, what sort of a match is it for you? I must confess, Valentina Mialovna, I had not thought of it in that light. Eh? What? What am I to understand by that? You have followed the dictates of your heart, we are to suppose. But all that is bound to end in marriage, isn't it? I don't know. I have not thought about that. You have not thought about that? Why, you must be mad. Mariana turned slightly away. Let us make an end of this conversation, Valentina Mialovna. It can lead to nothing. We shall never understand one another. Valentina Mialovna got up impulsively. I cannot, I ought not to make an end of this conversation. It is too important. I have to answer for you to... Valentina Mialovna had meant to say to God, but she faltered and said to the whole world. I cannot be silent when I hear such senselessness. And why cannot I understand you? The insufferable conceit of these young people. No, I understand you very well. I can see that you are infected with these new ideas which will inevitably lead you to your ruin, but then it will be too late. Perhaps, but you may rest assured of one thing, even in my ruin I shall never hold out a finger to you for aid. Conceit again, this awful conceit. Come, listen to me, Mariana, listen to me, she went on, suddenly changing her tone. She was on the point of drawing Mariana to her, but Mariana stepped back a pace. Écoute-moi, je vous en conjure. After all, you know that I am not so old and not so stupid that it's impossible for us to understand each other. Je ne suis pas une encroutée. I was even regarded as a republican in my young days, just as you are. Listen to me. I will not affect what I don't feel. I have never felt a mother's tenderness for you, and it's not in your character to complain of that. But I have recognized, and I do recognize, that I have duties in regard to you, and I have always tried to perform them. Perhaps the match I dreamt of for you, and for which Boris Andreich and I, both of us, would have been ready to make any sacrifices. That suitor did not fully answer to your ideas. But from the bottom of my heart, Mariana looked at Valentina Mialovna, at the wonderful eyes, at the pink, faintly touched-up lips, at the white hands, with the slightly parted fingers adorned with rings, which the elegant lady was pressing so expressively to the bodice of her silk gown. And suddenly she cut her short. A match, do you say, Valentina Mialovna? Do you mean by a match that heartless, vulgar friend of yours, Mr. Kalomietsev? 
Valentina Mialovna took her fingers from her bodice. Yes, Mariana Vikentievna, I mean Mr. Kalomietsev, that cultivated, excellent young man who will certainly make a wife happy, and whom no one but a mad woman could refuse. No one but a mad woman. What's to be done, ma tante? It would seem I am one. But what fault, what serious fault do you find with him? Oh, none at all. I despise him, that's all. Valentina Mialovna shook her head from side to side impatiently, and again sank into an armchair. Let him be. Retournons à nos moutons. And so you love Mr. Neshtanov? Yes. And you intend to continue your interviews with him? Yes, I intend to. Well, and if I forbid you to? I shan't listen to you. Valentina Mialovna bounded up in her chair. Oh, you won't listen to me. Oh, indeed. And that's said to me by the girl I have loaded with benefits, whom I have cared for in my own house. That is what's said to me. Is said to me. By the daughter of a disgraced father, Marianne put in gloomily. Go on, don't mince matters. Ce n'est pas moi qui vous le fait dire, mademoiselle. But anyway, there's nothing to be proud of in that. A girl who lives at my expense. Don't taunt me with that, Valentina Mialovna. It would cost you more to keep a French governess for Collier. You know I give him French lessons. Valentina Mialovna raised a hand holding a cambric handkerchief, scented with ylang-ylang, and embroidered with a huge white monogram in one corner, and tried to make some retort, but Mariana went on vehemently. You would have every right a thousand times over, every right to speak if, instead of all you have just been reckoning up, instead of all these pretended benefits and sacrifices, you were in a position to say, the girl I have loved. But you are too honest to tell such a lie as that. Mariana was shaking as if she were in a fever. You have always hated me. At this very moment, at the bottom of your heart, as you said just now, you are glad, yes, glad that I am justifying your constant predictions, that I am covering myself with scandal, with disgrace. All that you mind is that part of the disgrace may fall on your aristocratic, virtuous household. You are insulting me, faltered Valentina Mialovna. Kindly leave the room. But Mariana could not control herself. Your household, you say. All your household, and Anna Zararovna, and all know of my conduct. And they are all horrified and indignant. But do you suppose I ask anything of you, or them, or any of these people? Do you suppose I prize their good opinion? Do you think the living at your expense, as you call it, has been sweet? I would prefer any poverty to this luxury. Don't you see that between your household and me there's a perfect gulf, a gulf that nothing can conceal? Can you, you're a clever woman too, fail to realize that? And if you feel hatred for me, can't you understand the feeling I must have for you, which I don't particularize, simply because it is too obvious? Sortez, sortez, vous dis-je! repeated Valentina Mialovna, and she stamped with her pretty slender little foot. Mariana took a step in the direction of the door. I will rid you of my presence directly. But you know what, Valentina Mialovna? They say that even in Rachel's mouth in Racine's Bajazé, that sortez was not effective, and you are far behind her. And something more, what was it you said? Je suis une honnête femme, je l'ai été, et le serai toujours. Only fancy, I am convinced I am a great deal honester than you. Good-bye. 
mariana went out hurriedly while valentina mihalovna leapt up from her chair she wanted to shriek she wanted to cry but what to shriek she did not know and tears did not come at her bidding she had to be content with fanning herself with her handkerchief but the scent with which it was saturated affected her nerves still more she felt unhappy insulted she was conscious of a grain of truth in what she had just heard but how could any one judge her so unjustly can i be such a spiteful creature she thought and she looked at herself in the looking-glass which happened to be straight before her between two windows the looking-glass reflected a charming face somewhat discomposed with patches of red coming out upon it but still a fascinating face exquisite soft velvety eyes i i spiteful she thought again with eyes like those but at that instant her husband came in and she hid her face in her handkerchief again what is wrong with you he inquired anxiously what is it valia he had invented that pet name though he never allowed himself to use it except in absolute tete-a-tete by preference in the country at first she was reticent declared there was nothing wrong but ended by turning round in her chair in a very graceful and touching way and flinging her arms round his shoulders he was standing bending over her hiding her face in the open front of his waistcoat and telling him everything without any hypocrisy or hidden motive she tried if not to excuse at least to some extent to justify marianna she threw all the blame on her youth her passionate temperament and the defects of her early education she also to some extent and also with no double motive blamed herself with my daughter this would never have happened i should have looked after her very differently sipiagin heard her out with indulgence sympathy and severity he kept his stooping posture since she did not take her arms from his shoulders and did not remove her head he called her an angel kissed her on the forehead announced that he saw now the course of action dictated to him by his position the position of the head of the house and withdrew with the gait of a man of humane but energetic character who has to make up his mind to perform an unpleasant but inevitable duty about eight o'clock after dinner neshtanov was sitting in his room writing to his friend Celine. dear vladimir i am writing to you at the moment of a vital change in my existence i have been dismissed from this house i am going away but that would be nothing i am going from here not alone the girl i have written to you about accompanies me we are bound together by the similarity of our fate in life the identity of our views and efforts by our mutual feeling too we love each other at least i believe i am not capable of feeling the passion of love in any other form than that in which it presents itself to me now but i should be lying to you if i said i had no secret feeling of terror even a sort of strange sinking at heart the future is all dark and we are pushing forward together into this darkness i need not explain to you what it is we are going into and what work we have chosen mariana and i are not in search of happiness we don't want to enjoy ourselves but to struggle on together side by side supporting each other our aim is clear to us but what ways will lead up to it we do not know shall we find if not sympathy and help at least freedom to work mariana is a splendid honest girl if it is decreed that we perish i shall not reproach myself for having led her to ruin for there is no other life possible to her now but vladimir vladimir my heart is heavy i am tortured by doubt not of my feeling for her of course but i don't know anyhow it's too late to turn back stretch out a hand to us both from afar and wish us patience power of self-sacrifice and love more love 
and ye unknown of us but loved by us with all our being every drop of our heart's blood russian people receive us not too coldly and teach us what we are to expect from you farewell vladimir farewell after writing these few lines neshdanov set off to the village the next night the dawn was hardly breaking in the sky when he stood on the outskirts of the birch wood at no great distance from sipyagin's garden a little behind him a little peasant's cart harnessed to a pair of unbridled horses could be seen behind the tangled green of a broad hazel bush in the cart under the seat of a plaited cord a little grey-headed old peasant lay asleep on a bundle of hay with a patched overcoat over his head neshtanov kept incessantly looking towards the road towards the clump of willows at the garden's edge the grey stillness of night still hung over everything the tiny stars drove feebly to outshine each other lost in the waste depths of the sky along the rounded lower edges of the stretching clouds ran a pale flush from the east thence too came the first chill breath of early morning suddenly neshtanov started and was all alert somewhere near at hand there was first the shrill creak then the thump of a gate a little feminine figure wrapped in a shawl with a bundle in its bare hand stepped with a deliberate movement out of the still shadows of the willows onto the soft dust of the road and crossing it in a slanting direction apparently on tiptoe turned towards the copse neshtanov rushed up to it mariana he whispered it's i came a soft reply from under the overhanging shawl this way follow me responded neshtanov clutching her awkwardly by the bare hand that held the bundle she shrank up as if she felt chilled by the frost he led her to the cart and waked up the peasant the latter jumped up quickly clambered promptly into the driver's seat slipped his arms into the greatcoat and caught up the cords that served for reins the horses shook themselves he cautiously encouraged them in a voice still hoarse from his heavy sleep neshtanov made mariana sit down on the cord seat of the cart first spreading his cloak on it he wrapped her feet in a rug the hay at the bottom of the cart was damp placed himself beside her and bending over the peasant said softly drive on you know where the peasant gave a tug to the reins the horses came out of the thicket snorting and shaking themselves and rattling and jolting on its narrow old wheels the cart rolled along the road neshtanov put one arm round mariana's waist to support her she lifted the shawl a little with her cold fingers and turning and facing him with a smile she said how deliciously fresh it is alyosha yes answered the peasant there'll be a heavy dew there was already such a heavy dew that the axles of the cart wheels as they caught in the tops of the tall weeds along the roadside shook off whole showers of delicate drops of water and the green of the grass looked bluish grey again mariana shivered from the cold how fresh how fresh she repeated in a light-hearted voice and freedom alyosha freedom end of chapter twenty six